Tell. Let's talk housing. Sure, you've heard tell that all over the news. Anytime there's economic news, they go to housing. We're going to talk about why we look at housing. Is that friend of ours returning, Tyler Curtis, Young Voices contributor, went to school out in Missouri. That's the show me state, so we don't have to worry about him trying to shine us on. He's one of these evil banking people. He knows about these loans and such. Tyler, how are you, my friend? Good to see you again. I'm good. Uh, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me back, Andrew. Good. I dressed up for you. I wore my proud veteran homeowners t-shirt for you that I got for, you know, the low, low price of, I won't give the number away, but the price of my mortgage house. They gave me a free t-shirt. That's a good deal, right? So you sign away a 30 year mortgage and you get a t-shirt. That's, that's kind of, it. we're joking, but the way they pitch mortgages nowadays, boy, they throw a lot of bells and whistles for you to sign away 30 years of your life, don't they? And a lot of paperwork. By the end of it, you're going to have carpal tunnel, but uh, what I like to tell uh, clients is that it's it's short term pain, but long term gain. Let's talk about that, because the time period is really the thing with it. it, it I don't want to pick on the housing industry because this is true for any loan industry. This is really true with cars now where the average car has gone from four years to five years to almost seven years now. Any kind of loan, the pitch on the business side is. You talk about that low, low monthly payment and you de-emphasize that overall payment down the road. The reason that's really changing now is, is because mortgages have changed. When I bought my first house in the mid 2000s, seven and a quarter was a fantastic interest rate. I mean, you were doing backflips if you got seven and a quarter. Now it's gone down, it's come back up. Now the average is back around seven and a quarter and people are freaking out. But the difference is not just the interest rate, it is the inflation, it's so much more expensive. Talk about those two things, because that really gets to the nut of what's going on with these loans and things is how it's pitched, not talking about that long term. But then when you start talking interest rate and inflation, that's where people are really hurting. And that's where it gets into the piece we're going to talk about, why people are starting to get priced out a little bit. Yeah, there's just so much to go into. Uh, like you said, with the inflation that we saw in the, the post-COVID era, uh, where uh, inflation was at you know 40-year highs, uh, that made it harder for people to to save money to uh, to afford their mortgage payment or to afford their down payment and closing costs. Uh, but then the prices of houses were going up too. Uh, before the pandemic began, uh, the median home price in the United States is about $380,000. That's still a lot of money. But uh, and now it's it's up to about $580,000, which is the rate of, of inflation for home prices is so much more than the rate of inflation for, for everything else. Um, but yeah, you, you talk about uh, uh, affordability. I actually just saw a blog post up uh, last week. Uh, someone was actually estimating based on um, median income. So you can look at how much of your income is going towards your, your mortgage payment. And uh, it's at a 37-year high uh, percentage of your income that's going to pay for your mortgage payment. Uh, for most people in America today, it's about 37%. So it really does not give you a lot of room to, <laughs> to pay your other bills. Yeah, Tyler Curtis joining us. Let's slow down before we get into your piece that you wrote for USA Today about this. There's a reason housing and housing buying and housing building and housing loans 
it's such an economic indicator because so many things cross their streams right there. Um, I know from doing local radio back, we had builders only talk about there's 26 different trades that go into building one house. You think of the economic impact of that. That's not counting them going to all the different suppliers to get all their stuff. Then the loan guys like you come in and put together the financing for it. And that funds y'all's business. Talk about the fact we have to talk about housing, whether it's the housing shortage crisis or the housing debt crisis or people not being able to afford homes. So much of the economy, the cross streams meet at housing, don't they? Well, they do. What's the most important thing? Uh, it's the most important part of anybody's budget is uh, is, <laughs> is your shelter. Uh, but yeah, like you said, builders, uh, there's so many different things that go into to building a house. I And I think uh, with the inflation that we've seen with uh with the cost of construction uh, has led to a decrease in the number of new houses being built. So we still have a population that's increasing. People still wanna uh, go out and buy houses. So the demand is still there, but the supply just isn't rising to meet it. Um, that was a big issue. Um, I remember talking to, uh, to people, uh, customers that wanted to build houses um, and construction companies that wanted to help them build houses but it was so difficult to find them at a, an affordable price because uh, some of the supply issues that were going on during COVID, uh, everybody was talking about that. Um, and there are just so many different components that you need to build a house from, you know, lumber and steel and concrete. Well, steel, if, if you had a, you know, much larger, much larger residence, but uh, plumbing supplies are just, and you can't finish one component of your house until the, you know, the first component is done. Um, so it's just, it's such an interconnected process. Um, and so, uh, when you have this constriction of supply coupled with the federal reserves inflationary policies, uh, and the government, the federal government's fiscal inflationary policies, it just created this perfect storm where, uh, real estate, even though real estate values had been going up pretty uh, steadily for, for decades. It just, it was like a shot in the arm. It just went, if you look at a chart of, of median sales prices in the United States, it just went straight up because of, uh, on the one hand, supply issues that were making it difficult to build new houses and then demand issues where everybody wanted a house because interest rates were so low um, and uh, there just there just wasn't enough housing to, to meet that demand. Yeah, Tyler Curtis joining us. You get into it in your piece. It's a USA Today. We're going to link to it. Make sure you read the whole thing for yourself. A lot of links in there you need to go through as well. You get into your piece, though. This has a compression effect on everything because it's not just people that can't afford to get new houses. People like you and me, we're both homeowners. My home value has gone up significantly the last five or six years very much, very well. The problem is, okay, I can sell my house. I'll make a good profit but my interest rate on the next loan is going to be almost double what this interest rate would be. So again, talking about that long-term planning, not just that monthly interest rate, I'm going to lose a big chunk of that revenue I just gained just because the interest rate's higher. And that is keeping people from selling their homes or at least examining it. That has that compression effect because now you're talking about supply and demand. Now you're talking about people that could be buying other homes that aren't. This stuff all starts kind of stacking up on top of itself to make the problem worse, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, I'd have to go back and look at my piece to see the exact statistic, but I believe that the, the data now shows that uh, uh, at, at least the first quarter of 2023, there are 40% fewer homes on the market than there were in 2019, 
just a huge difference. I mean, just go check out uh, your local community on Zillow and just look at the listings on there. Um, it's it's you know, a fraction of what it would have been just uh, two or three years ago. Uh, but yeah, like you mentioned, uh, some people that might, might want to move but would find it more expensive. Uh, I, I'm thinking of people that might be in their 60s or 70s. Their children have all moved out of the house and they want to downsize. They're probably thinking... Why should I downsize when uh, I could buy a house that's a lot less expensive, but my payment might be, uh, assuming that they have a current mortgage, but their payment might be um, the same or even higher on a smaller, less nice house than they would if they just stayed put. Uh, and Realtor.com, the Realtor.com is this uh, this big company and they, they allow uh, people to, to list their houses uh, on there. They did a survey of, of current homeowners and asked them, uh, if they'd be interested in selling their houses right now. And uh, the responses that they received are, are pretty interesting. Uh, they found that there was a substantial number of people that would like to sell their homes, um, but they felt like they were locked in because they were locked in with these, these really low interest rates on their current mortgages. It was actually going to be uh, more expensive for them to move. So they just decided to stay put. So that's why we're seeing such a, like you said, a, this crunch, this supply crunch. Um, compression because um, there, there's a lot of people that would like to to move and switch houses either to uh, to upgrade or downgrade uh, but they just they feel like they can't it would be a bad financial decision for them to trade their three percent interest rate for a seven percent interest rate and not only that I mean you can think about a situation where you've got three percent on a mortgage of one hundred and sixty thousand um, dollars but if you want to go buy a, a similar house um, you know three bed, two bath house, something like that. Um, it might be priced at $200,000 today and the interest rate is going to be higher. So there's just no incentive for you to move. Have you found the keys to unlock your best trip? On a Trafalgar tour, you unlock more than just the world. We give you the keys to discover real connections and one-of-a-kind experiences. It all starts with expert itineraries where everything is taken care of. With Trafalgar, your money goes further, and so do you. Unlock your best self. Discover more at trafalgar.com slash unlock. That's T-R-A-F-A-L-G-A-R dot com slash unlock. Yeah, Tyler Curtis joining us on Herd Tell. You talk about it in your piece, though. Part of that equation, too, when you're sitting down and talking to somebody for a home loan, you get into something that I don't think we talk about enough. Because economy, usually you talk about like unemployment and inflation and maybe wages. What All wages aren't equal, though. So you really get into a little bit what a real wage is and wage growth and those sorts of terminology. That's more of an econ-heavy terminology. Just in a practical term, though, people understand what that is, that, hey, I'm making the same money, but it doesn't go so far. Kind of bridge it. Get out that Missouri uh, S&T degree you got there. Bridge that terminology for us, because that's an important concept for people to understand. Practical economics is something such as real wage growth, right? Yeah, let's get our our calculators. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, people are making so much more money 
than they used to in economists will use the term nominal uh, which just means that this is just the pure number um, so I remember when I was when I was in college I worked at a minimum wage job and at the time in Missouri the minimum wage was seven dollars and 25 cents and now we're seeing people making you know, advertisements there's banners outside of, of fast food restaurants advertising you know 14 fifteen dollars an hour um, so this is more than double what I was making just you know six years ago um but it's not real uh when we talk about real wages what we mean is how far does that extra dollar actually take you so if you're making you're making a thousand dollars more a month at your job it sounds really good but if your bills are now twelve hundred dollars more than they used to you're actually making less money in real terms so that's just what we mean when we talk about the difference between nominal wages and real wages so you might be making a lot more money just in pure numbers than you used to, but when your bills are so much higher, uh, it, it really you're actually poorer than you used to be. Yeah, Tyler Curtis joining us. So that brings us back to inflation. Everybody hears it on the news. They intuitively understand it like, oh, well, all of a sudden this is more expensive than it usually was. We understand through economics these things are cyclical. They're somewhat predictable. People knew at some point inflation was going to happen, and then you talk about cooling off and all those kind of things. Put it in a practical term. Again, I keep using that term because these are big concepts, but when you really think about it, it's stuff we do every day. You sit down with somebody buying a home and you're just talking through them with it. How much has inflation really affected these people? Because they're talking to you about their daily expenses. That's their job and that's your job to work through those with them. You're talking to these people every day. What's inflation like from where you're sitting and hearing these people talk about it every day for the last year or so? Yeah, I think the, well, the big thing is, uh, is grocery bills. Um, I know, you know, from personal experience and also talking from to, uh, uh, to people in my community, it's, you know, you go to the grocery store, you go to Walmart and uh, you fill up your cart and what used to be 50 bucks is now a hundred bucks. Uh, and that's just, that's sort of anecdotal, but um, if food prices are even, have gone up even faster than uh, you know the overall inflation rate. In, so we just got the new uh, inflation rate for June, just came out um, last week, I believe. Um, Bureau of Labor Statistics just released it. Um, now the year over year inflation rate has lowered dramatically down to 3%, um, but food prices are still up. I mean, bread, they released the, uh, uh, the inflation rate for bread and year over year for, uh, it was still about 13%. Uh, I remember when, when my wife and I were first married, this was just six years ago, uh, we, we bought a loaf of bread for a dollar and now we're paying, you know, five or $6 for a loaf of bread. Uh, so it, it is hurting people a lot. And the big thing is, is those, those larger expenses, your cars and your houses, um, because, uh, prices, uh, you know, we mentioned, we touched on that a little bit ago, but prices are still going up, uh, uh, concurrently with, uh, with interest rates. So, you know, it, before, uh, you know, your, your interest rate may have been 3%. Now it's going to be six or 7%, uh, but the price isn't coming down to meet it. It's still going up. Tyler Curtis joining us. You touch on it in your piece because you're talking a lot about the younger homeowners. You've been one of those recently. Talk about any kind of financial planning whatsoever. Getting that first home is so vital because now you've got in a short period of time, if you have a responsible loan, you have some equity, you have a building block to actually start building something substantial. 
And one of the reasons I think you're probably focusing on this and rightly so is for the younger workers, especially those in their prime years, you talk about millennials and peace. So those in their thirties and forties, they're real prime earning years. If you can't get that building block pretty early on, it's almost like you're chasing it and you're setting yourself back. And it's not that homeowning is for everybody, but for the people that can do it, that can build generational wealth. That can be a building block to something else. You always have equity. You can get other loans on it. It's just a flexibility piece that a lot of people need early in life. And if you don't have it into your 30s and 40s instead of having it into your 20s, that makes a giant change in your financial planning for your whole life, doesn't it? Yeah, it's huge. I mean, we talk about it a lot, um, especially investment advisors. We'll we'll talk about it a lot. Uh, Investing in real estate is the best way to to build wealth because it's uh, historically speaking, real estate values are always going up. Uh, and that's 100% true, but it's it's like anything else. It's sort of like investing in your health. Um, there's a lot of short-term sacrifices that you'll have to make, but over the long term, it's going to be the best thing for for you and your family. Um, and it was hard. I mean, um, getting in that position where where my wife and I were were able to afford our our first home, uh, there were sacrifices that had to be made. But uh, even in the short term, this is what I kind of want to tell. If there are any young people listening. Um, there are, there even, even though the, a lot of the benefits are long-term, we talk about building generational wealth. Um, there's a lot of short-term benefits too. I mean, if you just look at, uh, rental, rental properties right now, what you'll be paying to, uh, to rent, uh, an apartment or even a house. Uh, when my wife and I moved in, we, we, so we, we got engaged and, and bought our first home in 2017. Uh, her, uh, her rent on her duplex was actually a hundred dollars more than what our mortgage was on our house, which was a little bit bigger than, than the place she was living. So yeah, there, there are short-term sacrifices you have to make to get there, uh, but there's actually, there are short-term benefits too. Curtis joining us. Okay, we got to talk about the bad side of this though, because again, I just told you I bought a house in the mid 2000s. I got really lucky. I was able to sell a house in the 2008 2009 period when that was really hard to do because we had the mortgage crisis and we had the housing bubble and all that. Especially for the young people you're talking about in your USA Today piece, we understand that, you know, home mortgages and the financial, it's a competitive industry. There's less and less people. Corners start getting cut. Let's just be honest about this. So, you talk about having to have down payments here. All of a sudden, well, we can figure out a way around those down payments. Well, no, you can really afford this if we do this. And there is a dark side to this industry that young people need to be aware of. It's like, hey, we can make you afford it on paper, but two, three, four years down the road, it's not going to look like that. And you get yourself in a bad situation. Where's that fine line between predatory lending and really competitive business? And how do young people kind of keep an eye out for that, especially in an uncertain economy where they're like we just said, they're trying to get stability in an unstable economy and they're looking to do that. There's people out there that will take advantage of that. Yeah, for sure. We, yeah, there's like you said, there there are programs that will allow people to buy homes with no you don't have to bring any money to the table. 
so even though you're going to have closing costs and and for those that don't know closing costs are uh are uh their fees uh and uh, insurance premiums that you have to pay up front about half of it is going to be your your home insurance premium that you have to pay for the first 12 months and then your your taxes that are due on that property and then the other half are going to be your you know your origination and your uh, appraisal fees and titling fees but you some a lot of times you can get the seller of the property to uh, to pay those for you especially if you pay a little bit higher price on the house that you're buying uh, but I, yeah I think you're right Andrew there's um, because because we we have uh, we're so ingrained in American society that owning a home is is the American dream, uh, and I think it even though it is the American dream, we've we sort of made it into a a, a right instead of a privilege, uh, something that people are entitled to. So you know, the federal government has done so many things to make it easier to for people to buy homes, uh, and one of those is um, a loan program that is underwritten by the Federal Housing Administration. Uh, so this is a type of loan that, that maybe some people have heard of. It's called an FHA loan because of the Federal Housing Administration. But it allows people to purchase homes even if their payment can be, uh, even if all of their debts can uh, take up 50 to even 55% of their income. So you take your mortgage, all your other uh, debt payments, add them up, and if, if it's uh, even 54% of your, your gross monthly income, you can still buy that house. Is it responsible? That kind of depends actually on what your total income amount is. If you're making six figures and uh, you're spending 55% of your monthly income on uh, on your bills, it's not as big a deal if you're making $30,000 a year and you're spending 55% of your monthly income. Um, so I, I would say I think you have to you have to look at your own budget. If you're looking to buy a house, you have to be really honest with yourself about what you're able to afford. Uh, and don't go don't go right up to that limit. If a if a lender says that you're pre qualified up to uh, X amount of dollars, uh, just be really honest about. Do you think that even if you can't afford it on paper, you can qualify for it? Uh, just, yeah, just be honest with yourself about. Do you do you really think that you can make all those payments? Tyler Curtis joining us. I want to ask you your piece in USA Today. You started out with the Federal Reserve. You just talked about it a little bit. A lot of this stuff is out of people's control. They can't, have, you know, not just the economic cycles. There's so much regulation that goes into construction. There's so much regulation in the banking, both good and bad, um, that changes it. And that's also cyclical and politically motivated. People can't control a lot of stuff. They can't control the Federal Reserve setting rates. What can they control? Obviously, personal finance, the key word there is personal. It's not one size fits all. But what do you tell people, whether they're young, old, whatever? What is the biggest thing you can control when it comes to something like wanting to buy a home or something like this? Yeah, I definitely understand. Uh, it's tough. You, you kind of just want to shake your fist at the sky and say, hey, why are they why are they passing these policies? Uh, but uh yeah, there there are a lot of things that that you can control. Um, I, I touched on a little bit earlier about making short term sacrifices in in order to achieve those those goals. So if your goal is is home ownership, um, you know there are, there are a few things that you can do. Uh, I just think back to my personal experience. Everybody's different. 
Um, but if there's if there's any lessons that I would take away from from my experience when I bought my my first home in 2017, um, I was in a really good spot, um, and there were a lot of I had a lot of blessings that uh, that uh, I can't take credit for. Uh, I was able to live at home with my parents while I went through college. I was able to to uh, to save my money. So if someone's out there and they're you know they're they're 18, 19 years old. They're thinking about where they're going to go to school, um, I w- and you're thinking long term about your ability to to afford a house in the future. Uh, I'd say uh, be thinking about how expensive your college is going to be. Be thinking about those those living expenses that you're going to have while you're in college because you're going to be in college for four or five years. Um, that's that's time that you could be spend uh, that you could be taking to to save money for the house that you're going to buy when you graduate when you decide to move. Um, and be careful about taking on too much debt while you're in college too. Um, that's a big problem today. Is a lot of a lot of young people have uh, a lot of student debt. Um, now they may not be making payments on them because of certain deferment programs, but those debts, even when you graduate, if you're not paying them, uh, it's still going to be counted against you when you go to try to get qualified for a house. Um, so you may not be forking over the money to the to the government to pay those loans back, but it's uh, it's going to be counted as as part of your your monthly payments uh and so it's going to hurt your ability to to qualify for a home loan um you know and then there's other small things i i saw there was a, a viral twitter post a couple weeks ago where someone was saying you know if you spend five dollars a day on that espresso at the end of five years you'll have twelve thousand dollars saved up but that's still not enough to afford a down payment so go ahead and buy that cup of coffee every day well, uh, I don't want to judge anybody and their coffee buying habits, but um, and that's totally fine. You want to do that? That makes you happy. Do it. But those paint those uh, <laughs> you know those those coffee habits do add up. Twelve thousand dollars at the end of five years—that's a lot of money. Um, you could afford a, a down payment on a, a two hundred thousand dollar house uh, just by saving five dollars a day. So be thinking about those little expenses. You know those those little uh, those candy bars at the at the checkout line at Walmart or the coffees that you just had to have that day um, you know is, is it fair that you have to give up those those little pleasures in life just because uh, government policy is making it harder for you to afford a house of course not it's not fair at all but uh, if you as an individual uh, just trying to better your life and just deal with the circumstances uh, that you find yourself in uh, there are a lot of there are a lot of things you can do, sacrifices that you can make that'll make it easier on yourself. Yeah, Tyler Curtis joining us. You ended your piece. By the way, just for full disclosure, I did a VA loan, so I did one percent down, which is a good deal. But you pay for that in other ways that we won't get into right now. That's an earned benefit. Um, you ended your piece with something that I think we need more, not just personally, but in how we report and how we cover finances and the economy. You talked about one of the things about inflation is some of it's just got to run its course. That's not popular. That doesn't get a lot of clicks. That doesn't get a lot of views. People don't want to hear that. But somebody like you that deals with, look, you're doing loans for people for 30 years, you know, half their lives for a lot of these folks. A lot of this stuff, you really do have to be a little patient and understand these are cyclical things and you got to let them run their course and don't maybe don't just hang on every headline when you're making financial decisions. I know people do that. That's probably not helpful. 
you closed your piece with that, but I think that's a really important piece of advice, especially for young folks, maybe looking to do their first home buying or something like that. Some of this stuff just requires a lot of patience. And that's just not something you hear a lot in the coverage of these types of issues, is it? No, especially not in politics. I mean, listen to any politician being interviewed or in a debate. If you had, if, if uh, an interviewer asked a question about you know, how can we solve problems X, Y, and Z, and the politician answered, well, I don't really have a solution or there's no there's no government solution. Uh, that person probably wouldn't garner a lot of votes. So it's it's just the incentive structure of politics, of, of democracy, that you have to have an answer to every problem. You have to say, my policy is going to fix this and uh, come up with these fancy, you know, five year plans. Uh, at the end of my second term, we'll have unemployment down to three percent or, you know, whatever it is. We'll have inflation down to where to where our target is, but, but that's just not how, that's just not how society works. Um, you know, I, there's an analogy to be made, I think with, uh, with viruses, sometimes you go to the doctor and they say, you know, you've got this viral uh, issue going on. We can't, we can't prescribe you any medicine. It's just got to run its course. Uh, you know, you take your, take your ibuprofen to make the pain, <laughs> to make the pain a little bit less, but ultimately the virus has to run its course. And I think inflation, there are things like, you know, what the Federal Reserve has done, uh, raising rates, trying to, to uh, tamp down on demand um, so that we can get, uh, we can get inflation down. Those, cert- those things certainly help, but some of the effects of inflation and the effects of high interest rates, we can't, there's no Band-Aid to be put on them. Uh, there's no cure out there to make uh, to make some of these after effects of inflation go away that just have to run their course. And that's not something that, that people really want to hear. It's not something that politicians are, are going to say, but uh, I, it is true. Tyler Curtis joining us. He's a banker, but he's not your banker. So talk to your own financial wizards when you go to make these decisions. Appreciate the conversation. I, I like talking about this stuff because... Again, things like economics, there's a lot of big words that I don't understand, but you do economics every day, every time you go to the store. So it's stuff that we need to talk through. And I think this is a good application of it. Let folks know where they can follow you until we get you back on Herd Tell again, where they can find your writing, your social media and everything you have going on, my friend. Yeah, you can check me out on Twitter at Tyler Curtis 42. Um, I'm also a contributor at Young Voices. So if you go to the Young Voices website, youngvoices.com, uh, you can find all of my writing there. Yep. He's got a jaunty picture and a sweater vest, very much looking like a banker. Yeah, very evil. Very evil banker. Look, bankers are not evil, but there are evil bankers. Do know the difference when you go to see him. Tyler, thank you so much for the time today, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you, Andrew. Yes, sir. All the music on Hertel is provided under a creative content license from MonsterCat.com. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. 
And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Religion is at the intersection of our 21st century life, even if we don't express a faith. At a time when it seems that religion isn't as prevalent as it once was, it still leaves its mark everywhere. As a pastor, I know that religion isn't something I just do on a Sunday, but it's found in every nook and cranny of my life. Sexuality, politics, social media, the economy, war, nationalism, all have some kind of religious angle to them. And as a communicator, I want to find the stories that can help people understand this part of our society that is so important to so many. Hi, I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm the host of Church and Maine. Church and Maine is a podcast about the journey of faith and where it intersects with modern life. I look at faith with a journalist's eye, asking the who, where, what, why, and how religion affects some of the major issues of the day. Join me as we journey together. You can listen to Church in Maine podcasts at the website churchinmaine.org or on your favorite podcast app. I look forward to seeing you.